Welcome to Cinevelia, the podcast, episode number 47. I'm Michael Caddy. Do you want to do that again since you were moving the thing? Nope. Okay. All right. Well, hello. I'm Trevor. <laughs> Welcome to our monthly episode. <laughs> there, uh, about the last episode, I had something in my notes about MTV's influence on Cool as Ice, and I don't remember what it was pertaining to. I think it might have something to do with the fact that when the movie was going into production, they thought it was going to be this big thing. And then during production, they realized what a piece of shit they had on their hands. And well, Vanilla Ice's popularity dropped. So by the time the movie came out. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he was still hot as shit or apparently not. cool as ice by the time that movie came out. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. That episode was RIP so long ago, but it was, it was a pretty popular episode in the context of our episodes yes and i listened to it and i laughed several times so i me too yeah the movie sucked but the i i feel the episode was enjoyable yeah we should just switch to doing shitty movies mm, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of them so we'd never run out that's true anyways but we're not talking about that movie we're talking about our first documentary the 1973 experiment in film editing uh orson wells's f for fake which came out in 1973 like i already said I'm off to a great start. I don't have practice in this. In 1973, U.S. troops withdrew from Vietnam. The World Trade Center opened. And the Supreme Court of the United States rules on Roe v. Wade. Two of those things are no longer yeah. here. R.I.P. Uh, the average income was 12900 Average minimum wage was $1.60. Uh, average cost of a new house was $32.50. Sorry, $32.50. 500 that's a weird way to say that but thirty-two thousand five hundred dollars yes uh and it was uh, 175 for rent on average gas was 40 cents and a movie ticket was a dollar 77 the best-selling toy was baby alive which was like a toy where it would actually like eat and drink and would it pee probably cool in video games hudson soft and konami were established in sega then known as service games first two letters of each word comes together makes sega huh. uh joins the video game market and as far as new video game systems in 1973 pretty much just nothing but pong machines cool the top five tv shows of 1973 were hawaii 5.0 mash sanford and son the waltons and do you want to guess what the most popular popular tv show of 1973 was happy days no i think i came a couple years later but it's a pretty good guess thank you uh, no, I have no idea. All in the family. Oh, yeah. I would have never got that. TV shows that made their debut <clears throat> that year were Schoolhouse Rock and Super Friends. Shows that ended were Bonanza, Mission Impossible, Laugh-In, and The Mod Squad. Channels that made their debut were was the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which was a big staple of my childhood because it was Christian TV and I every Saturday night. It, it sounds Christian. Every Saturday night they had music videos. Like from... Christian bands, obviously. Thank you. But like that <laughs> band that you were talking about uh, the last episode. Oh, DC Talk? DC Talk, yeah. Yeah, it was a little before that, but from time to time. Yeah. Top five songs were My Love by Paul McCartney and Wings. Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. And Killing Me Softly with His Song by Roberta Flack. Bad Bad Le- Leroy Brown by Jim... Cro- Cro- Croce. Croce. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. See, that sounds like somebody who doesn't know how to pronounce it would pronounce it and be wrong, but I guess that's how it's pronounced. 
it is. Tie a yellow ribbon around the old old oak tree was number one by Tony Orlando and Don. What a weird fucking song to be number one. Especially during considering the climate. Yeah. Uh, unless it was a protest song, we didn't know it. Might be. The uh, top five movies from five to number one were The Way We Were, Papillon, the... Uh, Papillion? Yeah, thank you. Uh, American Graffiti, The Sting, and The Exorcist was number one. Nice. Never would have guessed that. Other notable movies were Magnum Force, Last Tango in Paris, Paper Moon, Live and Let Die, the first Ter- Terrence Malick film, Badlands, Charlotte- Charlotte's Web, Enter the Dragon, the Last Detail, The la- the Long Goodbye, Mar- Martin Scorsese's first big movie, Mean Streets, Robin Hood, the animated one, Scenes from a Marriage, Serpico, and Soylent Green. But like I said, we're not talking about those movies. Uh, F for Fake it has a 7.7 on IMDb and has a Rotten Tomato score and an audience score of 88. I think it's the first time that's ever happened. Couldn't find the budget. Didn't really look that hard. But apparently only made $10,000 worldwide, which makes sense once we get into some of the um, details about Orson Welles' second half of his career. Uh, wasn't nominated for any Oscars or any other awards. It premiered at the San Sebastian Film Festival in Spain and also uh, was at the Cannes Film Festival in 1975 and 2021. This was the restored version and it was part of the Cannes Classics section probably because of COVID. Mm. So they're like, well, we don't have as many movies because people haven't been making movies. Let's put some old shit out. Yeah. Which, good choice, in my opinion. It also was at the New York Film Festival in 1975. Uh, I didn't look to see if it was on any AFI list, but I highly doubt it. It is in the Criterion Collection uh, pretty early on, spine number 288. And it says 1975 on it, even though it came out in 1973. And there on that uh, docu- on that disc, there's a documentary about Wells's unfinished filmography. And it's not part of the Library of Congress. So, do you have a pitch for the movie? I do not. All right. Uh, Moving right along. Is written and directed by Orson Welles, which uh, there's a little note about that. Uh, most famously, the guy who did Citizen Kane. Some people say it's the greatest movie of all time. Uh, he's directed dozens of other movies but could never get out of the shadow of Kane. When asked about his favorite movie he had made, he always said the next one. He was like Prince, um, but released fewer projects because he would make a lot of movies and then just never release them, never finish them. Uh, Cause he's just always, he was always working. Creative um, genius problems. Mm-hmm. And he's one of my favorite directors. I haven't seen a movie of his. I don't like, and, uh, which is crazy because I haven't seen Touch of Evil, but uh, even when he's just acting in like The Third Man, he's great. I like him as an actor, I like him as a director. Uh, to the, add to the meta aspect of the movie, which we'll definitely get into, Wells wasn't the original director of the movie. A character or a person in the movie called Francois was making a movie about the, the main subject of the documentary and asked Wells to narrate it, and then Wells kind of just took over. <laughs> nice. Actually, I think I could do a better job. Yeah, this was the final released film from Orson Welles. But there's a documentary called The Love Me When I'm Dead that goes into a lot more detail about his, what would have been his last movie called The Other Side of 
the wind or something. I forget what it's called exactly, but that actually got recently released with uh, help of his friend, Peter Bogdanovich, who mm. directed Paper Moon. All right. So let's get into it. Yes. It starts with a magic trick. Uh, it's sleight of hand, boring, normal stuff. But it's also a way of showing that he's a showman, that he actually was into magic in World War II. He had his own magic, traveling magic show. Uh, and uh, he says that a magician is just an actor, or in this case, a liar, which is setting up the theme of the movie. Uh, that movies are lies and magic as well, or art in general. Um, he gives an introduction. He talks about this is a film about trickery, and he says a bunch of other words to the same effect. Flowery words. Mm -hmm. We find out that the main subject is a guy named Elmir, and they more talk about his legend than actually like break down who he is. You hear other people saying that he has like 60 personalities and he goes through all the fake names he's had. And then he says that he's not an actor and it shows like a montage of him doing all these extreme facial expressions like an actor would do. Um, and we learn really fast that the movie really early that the movie is very fast paced. Yeah. And I would say that, one of the few notes that I made of this movie, <laughs> um, like three minutes in and I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Cause it was like, it was moving very fast mm -hmm. paced and they're introducing this. And then he's talking about, Oh, this is a fake, but this is not a fake. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like, I, at that point very early on, as you're saying, I had no idea like what was going on or what the, right. the point of the story was going to be. Also Orson Welles has a tremendous fashion sense. Oh Yeah. That goes without saying. Um, it does. It, that's the thing about the movie um, that sets it apart from a lot of other movies of its time is that it is fast editing. Uh, action editing didn't really, wasn't really like that with the exception of like maybe the James Bond films. But if you watch the first couple James Bonds, there are a lot of scenes of him walking from one place to another. Like you'll get out of a car and then walk all the way into the building with like very few cuts. Uh -huh. And it's like at the time it was still revolutionary in 1962 or the mid sixties when the first Sean Connery movies came out. Um, and, but it wasn't until like 1977 when the first star Wars came out where action movies really started having a faster pace, which if you even watched that movie, it's a pretty slow movie too, by today's standards until you get to like, maybe like, the death star run at the end. Um, so this was something very new of just this fast pace. And it's the thing that causes this movie to be divisive. Some people love it for its innovation, for its fast pace. Some people can't get into it because of it. And I think that's where we're going to differ in this review. No, don't be so sure. Well, we'll see. Um, we also see the secondary character, Clifford Irving, who is an author. Uh, we'll find out more about him in the movie, but he was writing a biography about... Howard Hughes. Well, yes, but um, but our main character, whose name I already... Elmer. Elmir. Elmir, who... Uh, he was filming the interviews, and then so Wells was able to take some of that and put it into the documentary as well. We get our opening credits, and we're introduced to... Oya Kodar, and we see a montage of men checking her out. 
a very long montage of men yes. checking her out. Do you know who this woman, the significance of this woman beyond the documentary? Yeah, it was actually his real life, Orson Welles' real life girlfriend at the time. Yeah, yeah. or mistress, because oh, he was nice. married at the time. Ooh. Yeah, uh, but she was with him from 1966 until his death in 1985. Tisk, tisk. Um, he was married from 1955 until his death. Well, <laughs> till right before his death, because uh, he would he would live with his wife in Vegas and live with his girlfriend mistress oh yeah uh mistress in uh, hollywood until the early 80s where uh, his wife found out and uh wow she didn't know until 1984 wow so like 20 years mm -hmm. at least he was faithful to his mistress <laughs> and then she uh kicked him out so right a year before he died so wonder if that had anything to do with uh, his death other than the fact that yeah he died of a broken heart <laughs> he no that uh maybe like it it pushed his love for food obviously because if you watch this movie there's like three at least three scenes where he's eating mm -hmm. and narrating while he's eating mm -hmm. which you might go oh this is a very interesting way of, like you you're at orson welles's dinner table yeah but then you really think about it and go orson welles was a fat ass who loved to eat <laughs> he was rich so like he in one scene he finishes the food on his plate and he's like can you can you bring, bring me the bring steak more, yeah yeah uh after the uh, credits we he talks about girl watching and this was a hidden camera thing he did for the, I think he says it's for a different movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so he just had her go around and film people's reactions to her, which makes me go, okay, did they do that without permission or probably no. in the seventies? Yeah. Yeah. And probably wasn't America either. So, and, uh, he also smashes her into a suitcase. <laughs> He does. Uh, it's a magic trick that's, you know, probably a false door, whatever. And then a promise is made to us, the audience, for the next hour, everything in this film is strictly based on the available facts. We go to an island where uh, our two main characters live. Uh, Ibiza. Ibiza. Uh, both Irving and Elmir operated on that island, but separately, which is strange. Uh, must be like the Wild West over there in at least in the early 70s. And uh, that's where we find out that Clifford was writing a book about Elmir, who is a painter, but he's also a forger. So he forges famous painters. Famous paintings, painters. And the information kind of was revealed to the public around like the late 60s. So Irving decided to make uh, a biography about him. And this is actually like still in the middle of making it. And it's called fake. Uh, and Irving, I, there's like, the, there was a scene about it in, around this time where they're talking about how Irving is being sued for slander. And it's like, because he told the truth about Elmir or for like, I think it was like $50 million. They said, yeah. as if uh, he needs that money. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, back and forth of, is what Elmir doing criminal? Is it, well, what is art, which is a, uh, a theme that we mentioned a lot in this. And we also talk, they also talk about experts and the people that are so-called experts looking at a painting and being able to tell the difference between a forged painting or the real thing. And according to this, this movie, a lot of times the so-called experts will get it wrong. 
and they will assume that it is the genuine article which calls into question their expertise and experts in general which uh, is what clifford irving says when they're interviewing he's like i don't believe in experts anymore yeah which is interesting because as we'll find out later on in the story maybe that uh that's what pushed him to do what he did yeah which is funny because he's a, a biography biographer is a so-called expert mm-hmm uh, he also apparently has a pet monkey who just yeah. keeps showing up throughout the movie. Um, he talks about how one unnamed museum has nothing but Elmir's forgeries. I think the fact that he can forge so many different styles and nobody's like, oh, well, that's obviously not this person's shows that he is a, a talent. Extremely talented. Yeah. He's able to fool people who have studied you know matisse or whoever and fool them after examining an art like a painting for two hours and determine mm-hmm. it to be the real thing like that's fucking crazy that's really crazy and he does it with ease they they have clips of him you know creating mm-hmm. these paintings and it looks like he's not even trying and then he'll burn them and afterwards he, he immediately burns them which is crazy <laughs> to see and fun. he always says like bye-bye picasso yeah bye matisse uh and then there's also the question that gets brought up later in the movie of maybe these experts know it's a fake but if they say it's real then they get paid more money and like so the person selling it can sell it as a a legitimate painting and then you know everybody just assumes so you know what what where's the harm in that because we all get paid but if picasso or whoever comes out and says hey that's a fake you guys are it ruins their reputation so maybe Mm -hmm. they don't have the um he could sue whoever yeah i mean nowadays if that sort of thing happened they'd probably find out almost immediately Mm -hmm. because with you know the world is much smaller with the internet but back then you know this guy lives on an island picasso was a shut-in pizza howard hughes was a shut-in all these artists or whatever uh were all shut-ins at the time and didn't speak out uh there's a quote that almost said hughes wells mentions of uh kipling's it's pretty but is it art which is what i've been talking about with the whole theme that we keep mentioning of the uh, of art and what is art and the subjectiveness of it uh, and it's also mentioned that michelangelo was a forger but i didn't understand how they didn't really explain it yeah uh they talk about how Elmir was this big celebrity on the island, but then Clifford Irving superseded him in his popularity. So now people like it shows him Elmir walking around saying hi to people and they're all just like, eh, I don't care as much. But now Clifford Irving is the new He's guy the shit because of the Hughes affair. Uh, and I think we see Wells Orson Wells drawing Howard Hughes. And I'm like, that's pretty good (laughs) yeah he's a really good artist as well and uh slightly earlier in the movie elmir signs something as orson wells and uh when he finishes the howard hughes he signs it elmir which i thought was a nice touch i don't know if you noticed i noticed the elmir signing it as orson wells but i didn't uh i didn't see the other one um so howard hughes or orson wells talks about how he met howard hughes like 20 years prior 25 years prior to this and uh he said that he didn't see any kind of like 
mason jars or anything like that which is really cool to think about those two like giant names of the 20th century having a conversation which is always fun you know Mm -hmm. you see those pictures of like david bowie and michael jackson or whoever you know these big and uh freddie mercury together um yeah so it's always cool to see that sort of thing or hear about it uh there's a story about a mystery package on a tree which it turned it's like a ham sandwich yeah essentially he had a bungalow um he had a lot of bungalows i uh, there's a lot of books uh, really good books about howard hughes that i've read because i find them like fascinating um but essentially that he lived out of a bungalow and every morning at 2 a.m or i guess every night he would have someone come and deliver a ham sandwich in a tree in an exact position Mm -hmm. because he did uh, suffer from extreme ocd um he uh and they would come and place the ham sandwich or just in the off chance that he would get it Mm -hmm. and need it and he he never came out for it so every every night they would just change it out and put a new one in there yeah i forget that you've read several or at least one book about howard hughes several yeah yeah so did that pique your interest once it got to the howard hughes stuff yeah that's well because i had read about the movie when you suggested it and Mm -hmm. i was like oh wow this sounds really good because like there's a really good movie about it too with richard Gere. yeah Um, i had that uh, as a in case you don't have it in your notes yeah called hoax right right? and uh, richard Gere plays uh clifford irving and it's a really good story because i didn't know too much about it beforehand but the movie Mm -hmm. does a good job of talking about it (laughs) um yeah this is definitely one of my favorite moments in the movie where it goes into the howard hughes stuff and his problems he had to deal with just his own brain and um he had untreated syphilis which essentially eroded his brain hmm. so just the idea of a brain being eroded Mm -hmm. uh he uh, spent several years in the desert and that's like the infamous shut-in era of his life in the movie the aviator it makes it seem like it's just like a year or something like that yeah no he bought out the hotel and and lived there and didn't leave he was a shut-in completely wore kleenex boxes nine inch nails and all that trent reznor wasn't alive at that point speaking of trent reznor he and atticus ross are doing the score for something soon and i heard that i was like awesome but i don't remember what it was Hmm. anyways a new fincher movie i'm sure no it wasn't that oh the new ninja turtles movie oh wow that's cool that should add to my excitement for that i remember um so irving claims that while hughes was shut in his his private penthouse or his own hotel he uh he owned the well he owned the whole but he had the entire uh, top floor sealed off to himself and i'm looking at it uh the the image of that top floor in the movie i'm looking and going looks like he's in some shitty motel yeah but that was when las vegas he was one of the ones that helped las vegas become mm-hmm. las vegas yeah, it was before the Mirage yeah. and Circus Circus and all that. Well, in the 70s, I think that's when Circus Circus opened, but I don't remember the exact details of all that. But yeah, 
even circus circus is kind of old and trashy yeah. well now especially yeah, but especially now the only reason to go there is because they have cool arcades yeah um yeah so irving claims that he was actually able to sit down with hughes in his sanctuary and have enough interviews to write a book about howard hughes and he even had the signatures to prove it and then but there's a phone interview jeez oh you got me but there's a phone interview saying that with howard hughes saying no that's all bullshit because no one had heard from him he was a recluse for a long time no one knew where he was or what had happened to him and this guy Clifford Irving comes out of nowhere saying like oh I have his autobiography I'm mm-hmm. going to write it with him I have his manuscript um, they even forged like his his handwriting mm-hmm. which and, an expert claimed was real right exactly another play on the expert part and finally after it gained a lot of traction because everyone had wanted to hear his story mm-hmm. Um, because there had already been rumors going around that he had gone crazy and that you were saying like he had, you know, the nine inch long fingernails and he mm-hmm. wore Kleenex boxes, which he was deathly afraid of germs. Um, and he was basically his teeth had rotted out because he was just eating candy bars and just taking a lot of intravenous drugs. Um, that's all true. But, um, so he had to come out. And he knew that he couldn't be seen by the public, so he did basically like a, a radio interview, but over you know over the TV. Mm-hmm. So they were just showing like a speaker, and he was saying, "I've never met this guy. I've never talked to him before." And he was like saying, "Like not even in the movies would a wild tale be so." What did he say? Uh, spun. Not even in the movies has uh, such a wild tale been spun before. Was that the voice of the real Howard Hughes? I only wish I was still in the movie business. So he came out and denied it. And the ironic thing is that even after that, after the supposed Howard Hughes saying, like, I don't know the guy, people thought that that Howard Hughes was a fake yeah. instead of Clifford <laughs> believing that uh, Clifford Irving lied. Yeah, it's all just a big meta clusterfuck of who do you believe who yeah who can you believe because it's you know the late 60s early 70s who 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 has you know there's no way of knowing yep it's like now if i see a signature of somebody and someone's like whose signature is this i'm able to like go okay well it's a football player it's on this team maybe it's this kind of looks like maybe i can go actually on wikipedia and see that person's signature and go oh okay that that is that person like you can go and check the f- signature yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't need an expert. Um, you know, it's the end of that scene as far as I have for notes. Yeah. Uh, Irving talks about how he did this test with Elmir where he had him paint three paintings and he took them to experts to get them confirmed as legit, even though Irving knew they were all from Elmir. So then the experts come back and say, yes, all three of them are legit. Yeah. Authentic. 
and why are you selling these? These are rarities. And he says, he told Elmir that he burned them, but Elmir thinks that he, he kept probably them, sold yeah. them. Yeah. And it's crazy because when they're talking about like the price that he sold these for, it's yeah. like not an insane amount of money. He says like, like 10, 10 or $15,000. I'm like, even in the seventies, like art, like fine art would go for a lot more. So I think yeah. that right there is like, Hey, I'll sell you a Picasso for $10,000. Like what? No, like that seems fucking excessively low. Let's see what $10,000 in 1973. I'm going to say 34,000. $10,000 nowadays is $71,000. I was way off. What did you say? I said 34000 Yeah. Inflation's a bitch, man. Fucking hell. Tell me about it. Um, they talk about how, why Elmir didn't paint, just become an original painter, uh, which he probably could have been very good at, but according to, I think, Irving, he says he has no personal vision. No style of his own. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the scenes where we see Wells sitting around a dinner table and he has uh, two stories of two artists. We hear two stories of two different artists, one being Elmir and another being uh, another artist, both of them in their early days of their career and finding no success as painters, as artists. And a dealer who came to look at their paintings went, like in both stories, they see, well, how did you get that Picasso? He's like, that's not a Picasso, it's mine. And he's like, but no, that's a Picasso, even though it was his. And so the guy bought it off of him as a Picasso. So he got a lot of money, a lot more money than he was expecting to get for any of his own work. And so he went, uh-huh. this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of the plot of, uh, can you ever forgive me with Matt, uh, Melissa McCarthy? So hmm. she starts for, forging uh, letters. Letters. Yes. Yes. So from famous people, which was also a true story. Uh, they talk about this one joke to make an omelet first you steal an egg it's like a hungarian joke or something mm-hmm. i think he says mm-hmm. which is the whole idea of why he did it uh elmir also apparently survived a concentration camp it like lightly gets mentioned mm-hmm. when that would be an entire movie in and of itself right <laughs> uh and they talk this is the scene with francois the original director of the movie where he bought paintings from elmir he's like hey do you have he like buys a painting and he goes oh by the way do you have any from this artist and he's like uh no no i don't and then later that night he calls he's like oh just just so happens that i have that i found this and he's like okay that's odd uh so it happens multiple times yeah so then it just yeah magically keeps out like oh by the way i have this one and that one and that's where francois is like okay this guy's full of shit Mm mm-hmm well, I'm going to make a movie, about but he kept, <laughs> but he kept the, he kept the paintings anyway yeah. and didn't tell anyone like, Hey, this guy's a liar or what a fraud. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to know if they're fake or not. Yeah. <laughs> Just want to make the money. Uh, and apparently people have made millions off of Elmir's paintings. And in the scene we see Elmir talk, like quickly talk to two kids and he kind of spanks one. Yeah. I was going to make a note of that. They're like walking down the steps and he just like, he rustles one's hair and then he just like, lightly slaps the other one on his butt and i'm just like what the fuck 1973 and he's he's dressed like like a count like you know what i mean (laughs) like a like a full-on like three-piece suit with Uh like a fucking little monocle walking down some steps even though orson welles is dressed like the joker in mask of phantasm with a big 
gangster hat and yes. looking thing. Yes. Um, speaking of Orson Welles, we find out that when he was 16, he was a painter as well. And he would go all around Ireland selling his paintings. I feel like I said Ireland wrong. Um, and we see a montage of Welles sitting at this one bench. And he talks about how he got so poor. He, had to, he didn't have any more paint. He didn't have any more money. And then so he tried to get a job in the theater and says, oh, I'm this famous actor over in New York. And of course, if he was 16, it was probably like in the 20s or something. Um, so they had no way of confirming it. So they went, okay, and they hire him. And that's where he starts with his acting, which leads to him having his own theater group uh, and leads to one of the most infamous moments in radio, probably the most infamous moment in radio history besides Howard Stern. <laughs> no, I was going to say besides uh, Roosevelt's announcing the the bombing of Pearl Harbor, mm. which was uh, the broadcast that happened October 30th, 1938. So just before World War II, um, Wells does this broadcast telling people that Martians have landed and they're destroying this place and that it causes hysteria. Hysteria, yeah. A woman claims that uh, she was attacked by Martians, even though she was in san francisco and the stories were coming out of new york um and obviously it was all fake a person i guess in south america tried to do the same thing and got sent to jail yeah so uh and then we find out that's something i didn't even know i didn't and i've seen this movie before but i was like oh really i must have forgotten it that citizen kane was originally supposed to be about howard hughes mm-hmm. it was supposed to be a fake version of howard hughes's life but instead they changed to william randolph Hearst because howard hughes's life even at that point was so was stranger than fiction that they're like no one's going to believe that this is a legitimate person and they were also afraid to get sued and or killed yeah i mean the same thing with william randolph Hearst, but they went on with that mm-hmm. um they're also they also talk about theories that, ha- that howard hughes had doubles of his own. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of conspiracy theories behind Hughes himself, a lot of fake lying stuff behind Hughes because he was such a mysterious person and such an eccentric person and such a, well, I don't want to use weirdo cause that sounds insulting. Cause he, like you said, he actually did suffer from a sickness and he was a genius. Yeah. Like let's, let's put it that way, both in uh, business and um, from an early age, like, uh, like in, like an engineering genius. Mm-hmm. And he engineered a lot of things, including um, a brassiere yeah. for women to handle Jane Russell's massive memories. That's a true story. Yeah. One of the, the Aviator is one of my favorite Scorsese movies. So. Yeah. How accurate is that movie, though? Um, Pretty accurate, but I feel like it doesn't delve into like the full detail. There's a really good book... Um, I think it's called Citizen Hughes. That's like the one that I love the most. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just make sure it's the right one. Coincidentally, now that we have our Oppenheimer tickets, uh, apparently Christopher Nolan wanted to make a Howard yeah. Hughes movie at the same but time. Didn't because Scorsese, yeah. yeah, he needs to fucking make that. He can, yeah, he can now because it's been nearly twenty years since that movie came out. So, which is insane to think about because if you think about a movie that came out in like eighty-five and a movie that came out in sixty-five, mm-hmm. it seems like. In a, a lifetime between movies. There was one book. Oh, yeah. Howard Hughes, The Untold Story. That was the best book that I read. But then there was another one was um, 
Citizen Hughes. Um, mm-hmm. But that's more less about his life and more about his later life when um, his power and what you know what he tried to do and how he tried to kind of not take over the world, but um, just things that he would do with his money to try mm-hmm. to because he was uh, he helped the CIA fund um, like. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, basically, to uh, he was like against, really against communism and all that. Sure. So he um, helped the CIA, and he built this like submarine that because a uh, I guess a Russian plane or sub or something crashed into the sea, mm-hmm. and so he built and paid for this like submarine that went to like the bottom of the ocean floor to try to like recover the wreckage for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, should call James Cameron. I know. He would have he would have been there in a second. There's a really good book. Well, I don't know if it's really good. I haven't read it, but I hear it's really good. It's just really hard to find. Um, there's um, in the movie he's played by uh, his like his assistant Noah Dietrich. Um, mm-hmm. He's played by I can't think of his name. He's in Magnolia. Uh, John C. Riley. Oh, okay. so his like assistant, um, the real assistant Noah Dietrich, wrote a book about him called uh, "The Amazing Mr. Hughes," and I really want to read it, but like I said, it's like impossible to find, and they sell it online for like three hundred dollars because it's been out of print for so long. Crazy. But anyways, and then there's another um, book that I read, kind of like like Hollywood Babylon, but it's basically all about how Howard Hughes was like a closeted gay man and he mm-hmm. had affairs with a bunch of these it, and it kind of reads like a tabloid sure. but it goes into like pretty uh, pretty deep detail about his sexual conquests um both male and female but yeah. there's been i guess no real supporting evidence that he was homosexual or bisexual but he definitely dated and slept with 90 percent of hollywood <laughs> makes sense yeah you're that rich well i mean he was good looking he was yeah, smart he was educated he was you know this creative genius he he flew planes around the world he made box office hits both produced and directed he you know he was he had everything um including syphilis <laughs> sorry sorry howard um Irving admits to lying about Hughes and he wrote a book called The Hoax, which is the basis for the movie mm-hmm. with Richard Gere. Uh, Elmer lived in the U.S. for 12 years illegally because he only had like a three-month visa. So more lying, I guess, technically. Uh, we see a montage of the United States in the early 70s and I fucking love it. Just seeing all that old, like an Orange Julius, oof, an Orange Julius that uh, is a standalone, not part of a Dairy Queen or in a mall or something. It was really cool to see. It reminds me of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he's driving through Hollywood. Hollywood, Hollywood. yeah. I mean, we get to see all the cool signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wells is Orson Wells is in the uh, editing room for for a lot of this. With Dee Dee Allen. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and with him being in there, it reminds me of like those true crime like uh, Dateline or something like that where they're like in the room and they have like the editing bay behind yeah. them. It, you know what it reminded me of? Um, it's Vanilla Ice uh, yeah. tribute out there. Um, 
I don't remember what the show was called, like Stranger Than Fiction, and it kind of there was uh-huh. a host, and he looked almost exactly like um, like Orson Welles, and there's like a funny. <laughs> Oh, uh, there's like a funny uh, Jonathan Franks. Sure, there's like a funny meme collection or yeah. a, a compilation of him is like, and it says like it's fact or fiction. This is what I do at parties, and it's like, have you ever? Here, we'll just put <sighs> yeah. it on there. Have you ever walked out of a mall into a huge parking area and realized you'd forgotten where you parked your car? Ever gone mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you believe in the power of a curse? Have you had your hearing tested lately? Planning a trip soon? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? Have you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become? Are you careful with your personal records? Does your computer ever seem to have a mind of its own? Have you ever visited a Chinatown section in a major city? Have you ever visited a flea market? Have you ever visited a truck stop? Did you ever have a job as a waiter? Have you noticed how many successful restaurants are theme-based these days? Have you ever had the desire to write your initials in wet cement? so funny jonathan drinks uncanny imitation of my kids today while i'm trying to work from home (laughs) oh that's good that's really good i like that um he's also orson is also smoking over celluloid and i'm like that's not a good idea and he's he's smoking these huge cigars pretty much in every scene that he's in maybe that's what killed him that not the massive amount of food (laughs) yeah um I just have the sentence, I can paint false Picassos as well as anybody. I'm guessing Elmir said that. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why he hasn't been prosecuted is because he needs two witnesses to watch him create the forgeries, which never happens. Oh. I um, saw a loophole there. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they need evidence that not only is it fake and, and a forgery, but they need evidence that he did it himself and not just owned it mm-hmm. which isn't the case for having fake money unless you didn't know it was fake money i guess it's a fine line there mm-hmm. um i know someone who got uh, arrested by the secret service he photocopied money in high school and he he got arrested and he's like i he got in a lot of trouble because <laughs> he photocopied the money and then he tried to spend it oh jesus yeah so he got Fucked up for a long time. (laughs) What a dumbass. Yeah. I mean, essentially, yeah. How old was he? High school. It was was 16, 17. I I would understand if it's elementary school. And it's like, oh, just take my money to a copy machine. Yeah. You know, like, that's that's the way a a six-year-old thinks. But, like, uh, I never got into it because I was kind of embarrassed to ask. But, yeah, he got, like, he literally got arrested and, yeah. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> it's one of those stories. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny to me. Uh, we see no- Notre Dame, the uh, cathedral in France, and Orson Welles gives this beautiful speech about legacy. And while we see these shots during either sunrise or sunset of uh, Notre Dame, and just this beautiful piece of art that's this giant building in France. Somewhere in France. I'm, I mean, Paris, obviously. But somewhere in Paris, and I'm not entirely sure, because we didn't get to see that stuff in Paris. Or France, I guess. No. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> uh, and then, at last, we come to Oya. 
Uh, and then we hear a story about Oya, Picasso, and Olaf. Uh, Picasso died one month after this film was released, which is interesting, coincidental. Um, Orson Welles tells the story about how Oya was in uh, probably Spain, and she was there with her friend Olaf, who was into jazz, and he was always playing trombone, which causes Picasso, like just outside Picasso's window, which causes Picasso to like look out his window as Oya happened to be passing by. And she passes by several times a day, and he's always, he's woman watching now, and um, he's transfixed by this woman. And while they're showing this and they're, they have the narration over it, they keep cutting to these different photos of Picasso, like behind behinds. And- yeah. It's really, really creepy. His eyes are open, like super mm-hmm. wide. Um, he has this crazy intense look on his face. It's black and white photo. It's, it's very creepy and they just keep cutting. Like, it's just like snap cuts to mm-hmm. it. And then, yeah. Which I, I liked. Uh, and I'm also, I wrote down that uh, Wells films Oya like a man who's obviously sleeping with her. Yeah. Because, I mean, she's above average, but I wasn't like going, you know. But this is the 70s, man. Yeah. It's not like. Uh, the standards were much lower. <laughs> it's not like watching like Modern Times where, or uh, Charlie Chaplin's wife. Paulette Goddard. Yeah. Where you look at her and she's like, you're like, wow, she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And way younger than chaplain but that was his his muse his fucking mo yeah yeah no that yeah i've seen i've seen chaplain where he they have an underage uh mila jovovich topless mm-hmm. in the movie and i'm like how did they get away with yeah, that not sure and especially the fact that she's topless and it's rated pg-13 yeah that too Very well I, I think i've seen pg-13 nudity well titanic but... is the only other one that i can think of that shows boobs yeah no these it's not very often yeah anyways uh it uh reminds me of a scene in citizen kane just the idea of him like he has this girlfriend and he wants to give her what she wants to you know be an actress because she was going to be in his last movie the other side of the wind or whatever it's called um she was in that even though it, did, it wasn't finished in his lifetime. Um, so yeah, anyways, moving on from that subject. <laughs> but we do get some really fun acting from Orson Welles himself. And just, cause there's a scene where it's the two of them. And now it looks kind of like this weird, like interview in such a, like an, they're both dressed the same way with the same hat and the same jacket. And they're in this like bright room with, like just lines i don't know how to ex- explain it but i think it, that's shot very well and he's he's acting very well she's acting fine it's nothing nothing against her acting in that um they talk about how forgers can be one of the greatest painters but they'll never get the credit for their talents and in turn have no legacy and then uh when i was watching this movie the first time oh not so much the second time but I was watching the first time like, wow, this is a really interesting story. It's been over an hour, hasn't it? And we find out the story is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Were you, when you watched the scene, did you forget about the hour thing and just assumed it was true? Yes. Or did you think, 
Oh, it's no. been an hour, hasn't it? Yeah. I assume that... Well, I didn't even know how long was left in the movie or whatever, right. so, and, or how long it had been. So, yes, I assumed it was it was true as I well. Think, yeah, I say, I say otherwise, but I'm not 100% sure. I might have said... I might have uh, actually thought it was real up until like two-thirds of the way into it, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, crap, that's right. An hour. He reveals that, yes, for the past 17 minutes, I've been lying to you. And uh, he says that Oya is her real name, but it's not. <laughs> he had her change her name to Oya Katar, whatever it was, uh, to have a better stage or for a stage name. I don't remember what her actual name was. For some reason, I didn't John Rivers. <laughs> yeah. Um, they talk about professional liars and how art is a lie. And he makes a man disappear and I can see the wireframes <laughs> for like a second. Yeah. Um, and he says something and have a very pleasant evening. Pleasant. Good evening. Yeah. Pleasant. Good evening. To the memory of that great man who will never cease to exist. I offer my apologies and wish you all true and false. A very pleasant Good evening. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> I feel like we've flown through it, but... Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. this is interesting because it's a documentary, so there's not... When you part it in, yeah, there's not much to discuss about it. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? No analyzing as much as right. Citizen Kane. We can like, probably oh, talk for three hours like, about What that. does that mean? And what does this yeah. mean? It's just like, it's very straightforward and it's presented to you in, you know, such a way that there doesn't need to be a whole lot of discussion other than like, oh, yeah that's that very interesting or like the howard hughes thing like yeah. a nice little segue because you know very much about howard hughes mm-hmm. um i feel like i know more about orson wells than i said but i i don't think i do i don't know what i'm saying right now uh, i do want to talk before we get into it i do want to talk about this movie's legacy for youtube because there are a couple different people who make video essays who made a video essay about this movie and how it's basically the first video essay Mm. and how it teaches those people to tell a story through the visual medium um, to explain an idea because this is all about the idea of liars and art. Um, So the one that I watched first was Every Frame of Painting. I didn't look up the other one, but he also compares it to the idea of um, the uh, creators of South Park for writing a story. They're... they hate the idea of this happens and then this happens and then this happens and this happens. It's like this happens. Therefore this happens, but this happens. And also meanwhile, back at the ranch, each individual scene has to work as a kind of funny sketch. You don't want one scene. That's just like, well, what, the, what was the point of that scene? We found out this really simple rule that maybe you guys have all heard before, but it took us a long time to learn it, but we can take these beats, which are basically the beats of your outline. And if the words, and then belong between those beats, you're f***ed, basically. You got, you got something pretty boring. What should happen between every beat that you've written down is either the word therefore or but, right? So, so what I'm saying is that you come up with an idea and it's like, okay, this happens, right? And then this happens. No, 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 it should be this happens and therefore this happens, but this happens, therefore this happens. And that, as soon as we are able to, and literally sometimes we'll, we'll write it out to make sure we're doing it, 
we'll, we'll have our beats and we'll say, okay, this happened, but then this happens and that affects this and that does to that. And right. that's why you get a show that feels like, okay, this to that, to this to that, but this, here's the complication, to that. And there's so many scripts we read from new writers and, and, and things that we see. God, I see movies. And, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you see movies that you're just watching. It's like, this happened, and then this happens, and then this happens. That's when you're in a movie just going, what the f*** am I watching this movie yeah. for? And just yeah. like, this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. That's not a movie, you know, that's not a story. Like Trey said, it's those, those two, but, because, therefore, that gives you the causation between each beat. And that makes, that, that's a story. Yeah. Which are all ways of making a story interesting, having like two different plots going at the same time, which this movie has like four different plots going on at the same time, kind of. And we're, and as soon as like one builds up to a peak of interest, we cut away to something else and then we start building that one up, mm -hmm. which happens in movies like Empire Strikes Back and like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So I think this movie does a very good, it is a very good example of how to do such a thing with a, the visual medium. So I agree with the, the video essays about it being pretty much a video essay. Now, would I recommend this movie? Obviously, because I recommended this movie. Because you brought it in. Uh, I'm sorry. Clean footsie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that and I, that quote from Kipling about it's pretty, but is it art? And I love that this movie never really says for sure it is or isn't uh, although there is a quote in the movie where somebody says that um, no one person can say whether something is good or bad, like as far as art, at yeah, least. Yeah, of course. Um, and it also goes back to that old adage of never let, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. The Mark Twain quote. Uh, would you recommend? Well, let me, let me, I'll, 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 I'll keep going about. Yeah, go ahead. My feelings on the movie. Um, I think that the subjects of the movie are very interesting people even clifford irving who doesn't have much of a personality himself but what he did is very interesting which goes to somebody who is very interesting like howard hughes and almir he writes about very interesting people whether he's telling the truth or not um i think the oya stuff is probably a little weak it's obviously knowing i think if i didn't know that that was his mistress at the time I'd probably uh, not judge it as much as I do. Um, yeah, I just I love the editing style. I love the fast pace of it. I love the energy. I like the ideas of it. I think the the thing I don't like as much because he does a lot of paused frames where it makes it look like the movie is messing up <laughs> sometimes, mm -hmm. which isn't an issue until we got DVDs. So it does kind of mess with your with your brain. A bit. Uh, I love Orson Welles. I love his charisma, his personality, uh, his charm, and I will pretty much watch anything he ever does. I think this movie is great, and I give it just a solid eight out of ten. Cool. Would you recommend this movie for someone who's interested in documentaries? Yes, I yes, I would uh, recommend it to someone who's into documentaries, and especially for it being very like ahead of its time and original because mm -hmm. um, it is in a lot of different ways. Um, so yeah, I would, I would recommend it. Uh, if, if someone's like even kind of like just slightly into documentaries or kind of whatever, probably not. Um, 
But yes, I would say with the caveat, if you're into documentaries, yes, I would recommend this movie. As far as my overall thoughts. So as a documentary, this is the movie's definitely interesting. It's engrossing and it's fun to watch, uh, especially for Morrison Wells. He does like a good job of being the narrator, mm-hmm. being the host, being our guide. Yeah, exactly. And he he seems to really like enjoy what he's doing. Um, like I said, he has a very keen fashion sense. Mm-hmm. Seeing him change outfits like every five minutes is great. Um, unfortunately, it I don't really have much else to say because it's you know as far as it goes for me documentaries are judged on like a different level you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like there are bad documentaries and there are good ones Mm -hmm. this one succeeds because it is entertaining Mm -hmm. and like you know what i mean i was interested in what's going on i wasn't bored um but um like i said the movie is very unique in the way that it's presented especially in the editing like this had to have been as head of its time for the way that they did it because the way that they cut back and forth between things that Orson Welles was saying, and then they would cut to a scene of them talking, which backs up what he's saying, mm-hmm. um, whether it's comedic or not, like that's that's pretty unique. And I think it, like it was edited very very well. Um, I do really hate the fact that essentially the last twenty minutes of the movie, um, where everything was stressed as fact, was actually like a lie. Mm-hmm. Like I was like listening to this, and he was like that was a lie and i was like okay what the fuck was the point which is like the fact or fiction yeah, episodes exactly. if you've ever seen the actual show this sounds like i mean that guy looks like orson wells even so <laughs> it's like basically like hey let's just, just do f for fake uh but a show <laughs> That's um, true. and and the and the the lie at the end like it's not even super shocking like oh my god like yeah. holy shit um there were a lot of creative things done in this to tell the story, to make it more engrossing and entertaining for someone watching it. So I appreciated that. Um, I do also hate the fact that the, the part that they could have gotten into the most detail about, like the Howard Hughes thing, mm-hmm. it's like they talk about it for maybe 10 or 15 minutes yeah. of the total screen time. So I was bummed that it wasn't more thorough and more in depth because the movie's 89 minutes. So it's very, very short. Yeah. Um, I wish I would have been much more happy if it had more about the Howard Hughes thing. Cause there's a lot to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so my overall score of this movie is a 7.2. That's about three out of 10. So yeah, d- definitely solid. Um, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. Um, but as far as documentaries go, entertaining, well done. Yeah. Orson Welles. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So trivia really only have one interesting factoid about the movie. So originally Orson Welles was going to call the film fake and then for several months insisted that it would just be called question mark. Uh, But the final title was eventually settled on not long before the film's opening. So for the longest time, the film was just going to be called question mark, which I think would be interesting. I think it goes along along with the the feel of the movie. And that's a a Prince thing if I've ever heard it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just going to be symbol right now. Yeah. The love symbol. Yeah. I do have a piece of trivia myself. Yes, please share. Uh, so the trailer for this movie, Arson Wells made himself, was nine minutes long. Oh, yes. I saw that too. I don't know why I didn't write that down. That's insane. That's he, he There's a scene in the movie where Elmir is saying something about things that someone being pretentious and he's trying to think of the word. And in that pause, Orson looks at the camera and says, pretentious. And I'm like, 
if a nine minute trailer isn't the most pretentious fucking thing, yeah. oh, I can't not put that in the trailer. I can't not put that in the trailer. That reminds me of, um, and especially for a movie that's 89 minutes yeah. long, but that reminds me of that Apocalypse Now trailer that I had never seen before that it played at the New Bev and it was oh, probably yeah. like six or seven minutes long. <laughs> that makes more sense. That movie is like, the long version is like four hours, right? Yes. Yeah. So that well, makes a lot well, more sense. There, the the longest version is like three three twenty six or something oh, like okay. that. But still, it's like that makes a little more sense. Yeah, that's it's epic movie. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, as far as one star reviews go, there was one where the guy took quotes from the movie and then just called the movie pretentious. So, mm. which yeah, I can I can see people feeling that, and it definitely has that feel to it, but. I don't know. It didn't. There's not enough pretentiousness in the Orson Welles aspect of it, other than finding out that he. I don't know if he necessarily stole it. Francois seemed like he was a willing participant because mm-hmm. uh, he's in the movie and he's you know he's got the big smile on his face for most of it. So he's a fun little side character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't feel it that much in this. Now in the uh, Orson Welles wine commercial, have you ever seen that? No. I guess that would be one thing. Fun thing to talk about is the the end of Orson's career he was you know constantly making movies but he also had to make money because no, none of his movies ever got released and if they did they only made ten thousand dollars which was what we would establish what seventy two thousand dollars at the time yeah um so he would do little spots here and there famously he was his last role was as the uh the big giant enemy planet eater in the the transformers the movie from 1986 where you can listen to it and you can tell that he's literally dying while recording it welcome megatron said that I am Unicron show yourself I have summoned you here for a purpose nobody summons Megatron then it pleases me to be the first <laughs> that's terrible it is terrible but he did it just for a paycheck um which is funny because that villain that he played is the villain of the newest Transformers movie. Okay. Um, he also did this wine ad where he was obviously wasted during it. So if you want to take the time to look at that, I think that'd be interesting. But while you're looking that up, uh, probably the most famous thing that he did or that we know about him around this time is where he recorded the ad, a bunch of different ads back to back for the narration and... Uh, one was for frozen peas that uh, the outtakes were released and uh, voice actor Maurice LaMarche got a hold of him in the eighties and he would listen to it over and over and over again and memorize it and do an impression of it. And when he went to do the voice of the brain to audition for the brain, he thought it was supposed to be uh, Orson Welles and uh, it wasn't, but he went in there and just did his impression of Orson Welles and got the job as the brain for pinking the brain and they even do the frozen peas ad with brain recording those lines. So oh, interesting. 
Let's see this commercial. This is original takes for Orson Welles wine commercial. With overlap, action please. Action Orson, please. You just do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Yeah, rolling. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. Cut. So, Paul Masson. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Cut. Paul Masson super. Oh, oh, oh. I've seen that actual commercial and it isn't that bad. The taste of French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There's a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. Paul Masson's superb taste shouldn't be too surprising. This champagne doesn't come from France, but it was created by a man who did. Paul Masson. Paul Masson must sell no wine before its time. Like it actually looks, he's like, ah, oh, the French, you know, the wine, blah blah, fermented in the bottle, and like he he came he up a like little him. bit. He probably had a little coke to <sighs> even amount. But if you look at him, that's obviously around the same time as this movie, because he looks pretty much exactly the same. Really? So yeah, I think he, he looks a little bit older in there, but I mean, looking the, at the the quality the of the style, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and also look up the frozen piece sometime. I'll just maybe I'll put that in the ending credits or something. But we're done talking about that movie for now. Do we mention it several times for the rest of our podcasting career? What have you seen in the last month? I know one thing you've seen. Yes. But we, we could talk about that at the end because okay. I feel like I'm going to... Well, you can probably just do a mini episode in this episode about it, but we'll get to there. If you remember anything else you've seen. Did you see season three of Ted Lasso? um no well i started watching it and we watched the first three episodes and didn't really have the same connection that we did with the other episodes but then we started watching um shrinking right um so we finished that and that show was fucking excellent that show was so great um and then we kind of jump back into Ted Lasso and we're kind of like, eh. Well, I mean, we'll definitely watch and finish it, it but yeah. we don't have the same connection that we had to finish it as the second season or even the first. People are saying that, um, I don't know. I've seen the whole season and I don't know if I feel that because I've seen the whole season or if, uh, I just didn't never felt that throughout the whole thing, but no, I thought it was great. Great ending. Sad that it had to end probably because of, some stupid streaming thing where they're just like, ah, we're not getting enough views on the show. So let's just end it. Or maybe Ted Lasso wasn't getting enough views. People were like fucking raving about it. I don't know. I don't know what the, the deal was, but they went 
three and done. We're we're out of here. Well, I remember hearing that they were like when they finished season one that they were like, "Oh, we're only doing two more seasons. That's it. That's okay. all we have Jason for." So mm, okay, well there you go. That's yeah. that's the reason. Okay. Um. Yeah, because the the uh, second season came out like two years ago. Mm-hmm. There weren't any episodes last year. But anyways, uh, Barry season four and its final season. Both of those shows ended within a week of each other, and I'm just like. They're like the only two shows I watch. Hmm. But now it's always sunny in Philadelphia is back, so I'm happy about that. But they usually only have like eight episodes in a season. So Oh, is that why they have forty two seasons? Yeah. 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 Um There's probably plenty that I'm missing. I'm gonna look at my AMC Stubbs app really there quick. There you go. To see what I've seen in the last month. Because you can log it all in the Well, uh, you can just see your letterbox your tickets. I don't want to do that. Oh my god. Oh yeah, we saw Guardians together. Yes. That was the only other thing that I saw in the theaters, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Why are you spending this money on this subscription? Oh, sorry, I shouldn't judge. I mean, you know what? Fucking one of these movies cost as much as true. the the monthly fee, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, and usually I go more, but I've just, you know, I've been very busy. Mm-hmm. So, even if I didn't go, it would still be worth it for me to go because mm-hmm. like oppenheimer is worth uh like the ticket for that is worth more than That's the true. monthly charge for the service um yeah guardians of the galaxy was i enjoyed it it's very heavy um <laughs> as you mentioned uh yeah it was very heavy but overall it was good i think it was a good um a good ending to mm-hmm. the series um i can't think of any other things that come to my head about it right off the bat um but yeah it was a good send-off for everything i I liked it uh it's sad but i think it's good because it was more more mature it wasn't like a fucking Mm -hmm. like the last thor where everything's just like a joke and just like hey someone's dying of cancer let's joke about a bunch of other stupid shit yeah the whole movie was fucking stupid um but yes i enjoyed it and that's about it. But while we're talking about streaming and all that, I finishing Perry Mason season two on HBO, I and I just one. found out that they're fucking canceling it. Probably for the it's like the same reason they're like, oh, we don't have the the right number of people watching. Yeah. I was like, okay, so fucking let's put some other stupid shit mm-hmm. on like that. Well, I haven't seen it yet, but I kind of want to. Um, that show, the the Idol, it's supposed to be. It's on HBO and it has the the weekend that okay. the artist the weekend playing like kind of like a culty figure. Hmm. Um, it's done by the same guy who did Euphoria, so right. um, people are saying it sucks, but I want to see it. <laughs> if people are saying it sucks, I tend not to want to see it unless it's something that I'm like I'm not going because it it's looked be a good movie. it looked interesting to me, but it also sure. has Johnny Depp's daughter in it. Oh yeah, I Rose something Lily Rose. Um. But yeah, that's uh, that's my that's my so-called life with Corky. Yes, sure. Was that that? No, that was a, wait. Was that? No, that's a different show. I'm thinking that's the Jared Leto show, or uh, Claire Danes that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. My so-called life. Yeah, Corky was something else. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, moving right along. I barely remember. What, did, what so. did you see? I saw Blackberry in the series of movies that are about something that came out in the last 30 years that we all didn't we talk used. about that when we talked about air no because i mentioned air and i mentioned tetris and then there's blackberry and now flaming hot 
just came out which is available on hulu and disney plus so that's the story of your stripping career <laughs> well yeah uh i also saw are you there god it's me margaret and it's great and both of those movies are great blackberry is great especially with um howard not howard hughes no <laughs> glenn howard howlerton i don't even know how to pronounce his last name uh from oh it's always sunny he's amazing in it uh are you there god it's me margaret is really good it's not just about female puberty but it's also about questioning religion and all that which is literally there in the the title i saw fool's paradise with written and directed and starring charlie day and that movie's a piece of shit i give it a half star on letterbox and it's on the bottom of my list below Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania of movies I've seen this year. Uh, I saw The Machine, which look it up. I don't want to go in, into explanation about it. It's fine. It's stupid. It's, uh, has Mark Hamill in it and he's in most of the movie and he's great. So that's the reason to see that. Uh, I saw the new Transformers movie yesterday and it's, it's pretty good. Mm. Not as good as uh, Bumblebee. It's not something I think you should go see. I would never. Would... I would never see it. Yeah. Uh, I the last one I saw was like the one with we we actually saw it in IMAX, and I think it was mm. the last one that Michael maybe it was like the third Transformers that came out like whatever ten years ago. Where like destroyed Chicago and all that. Every fucking movie is that they destroy some city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm never seeing another Transformers <laughs> movie because they all look fucking exactly the yeah. same. So. I haven't seen the uh, the two um, Marky Mark ones. Which Marky Mark gets a name drop in this movie? Oh, really? He's like, I'm upset because he's leaving the Funky Bunch. I guess he's going to acting or something now. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I saw Inception in 70 millimeter. Oh, yeah. And it was amazing, especially the sound. Because I don't even remember the sound being that great when I first saw it at AMC at Downtown Disney, which is no longer there. R.I.P. It's going to be... Uh, Chinese restaurant or something now, but uh, Din Tai Fung, yeah, <laughs> is it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, you're just speaking gibberish now. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of seventy millimeter, if I can interrupt here, sure. Um, I actually I don't know why. I think probably because I'm gonna see it, but I re-listened to our Babylon like little mini mm-hmm. episode. <clears throat> And I mentioned how um, there was only, like, I wanted to see it there. Apparently, they were going to make 70 millimeter prints of it, and there was only playing in New York. But um, the same theater that you saw Inception, Inception in and that we saw Glory in is going to screen Babylon in 70 millimeter this weekend. And I am so fucking excited. Um, I have to work. Yes, that is very sad. But we're going to go see The Master together in July. Yes. So, um,. If you're if you happen to be in Southern California, check this theater out because I literally just Fine found Arts out theater, about it. Yeah. Fine, Arts, Fine Arts Theater in Beverly Hills. Um, they've been playing it. They're few and far between, like every month or so. But they yeah. played some good stuff. They played Dunkirk, um, The Master. Inception, They're going to play Two Thousand One. Um, so if you're into that kind of thing and you're fucking dorks like me and Gaddy, Gaddy and I, um, <clears throat> check it out. Gaddy and me. I'm fucking naming your sitcom <laughs> um but yeah that's all i have to say i'm very very excited about that um i haven't seen the movie in a while 
and listening to the podcast about the episode or about the movie mm-hmm. made me like miss it and want to watch it all the more. So very That's excited good. to see it. Speaking of Babylon and uh, your favorite movie, um, if you want to say The Place Beyond the Pines, that's not even close. Uh, the, uh, Under the Silver Lake, these long-ass fucking titles. Uh, Fool's Paradise has a scene, it takes place in L.A., where he goes under L.A. And what is Fool's Paradise? It's the Charlie Day Oh, okay, movie, okay, I got it. Where he goes underground and talks to some mysterious person, and I'm like... We've already done this twice Multiple now. Multiple times, yeah. Stupid movie. But the movie we both saw two days ago was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And it's my favorite movie of the year so far. I wouldn't say by far, because Guardians is number two. Actually, yeah, Guardians is number two. And, oh, I also saw still the Michael J. Fox documentary. Oh, yeah. Which is amazing as well. So That's on Apple TV, right? Yes. Okay, I'll have to see that. For sure. But yeah, across the Spider Verse, I gave it a like a nine point five. Let's stay. I've seen it twice now. We saw it on IMAX, mm-hmm. at Universal. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, visually amazing. I don't think it has as much heart as the first movie, but more than makes up for it with more visual, just beauty. Talk about like every frame being a painting. Yeah, very very visually. Yeah, interesting. And the action is insane, and it's like who even thinks up this stuff. This is what I imagine what life looks like on cocaine. <laughs> and, but Not it does colors. But it does have the moments where it slows down and you know a child talks to their parent, which is like most of the scenes, a child talking to their parent. But it slows down to have the the heart heart filled moments, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, what do you give it out of ten? I think I said like a like a solid eight. Mm-hmm. I think. It was really good. It was very entertaining. Um, I told you my few little gripes about it, but um, yeah, all in all, it's definitely unique and interesting and really well done. And the voice acting was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I was hearing these voices and I was like, is that? And then I saw the credits at the end. I was like, oh my God, I was right about like all of them, except for um, who was the one? Oh, uh, Spider-Punk? Yes. Yeah. Daniel like yellow or something. Yeah. The guy from get out and mm-hmm. nope. And I would have never guessed that, but it was the voice acting is yeah. amazing. And I don't want to spoil anything. So I won't say anything else because I want how to... it ends is very surprising. I'll yeah. just say that. And I think that's one of the things I liked about it, but also one of the things that I was like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ending is very surprising. He dies at the end. Wow. <gasps> Why'd you do that? I know. Time for homework. Yes. I'll make this nice and sweet and short. You can make it as long as possible because what are we like an hour and a half into recording? Yeah. Um, I think it's time for us to get back on track. I think we need some nudity. Jesus Christ. We need some violence. (laughs) We need some twists and turns. So one movie that has all of that, including every childhood Every young boy's childhood fantasies from the 90s rolled into one movie is 1998's Wild Things. Okay. With Kevin Bacon, I Nev saw Campbell, that. Denise Richards, and Matt Dillon. I saw that at uh, Barnes Noble today, and I was like, I thought about buying this a year ago, but... I have the I didn't. the Blu-ray collection that came out. I've had mm-hmm. it, or sorry, it's the 
4K. the 4K version, special edition, whatever. Mm-hmm. I've been limited edition. I'm dying to see it, but I knew that I wanted to bring it on to this podcast. And with the boring ass shit that we've been talking <laughs> for the last three months, I figured it's time to get back to basics. How was cool as ice <laughs> boring? And also with the movie we just talked about, you didn't say it was boring. <laughs> no, I'm just being a dick. Facetious? Uh, no, I'm being a dick, not facetious. Um, but yes, uh, this is. I'm excited to talk about this movie because I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I've loved this movie uh, since the first time I saw it when I was way, way, way too fucking young to see it. Um, that doesn't sound like you. And that doesn't sound like me at all. So um, join us, if you will, for if you dare. 1998's Wild Things. Because we've never done a movie from the 90s before. No, we have. I don't give a shit about <laughs> I know. I was decades about, anymore. I, I was don't. thinking about that today. I was like, ah, you know, I try to put on a little variety into it. But at the same time, I feel like I'm also shortchanging myself with a lot of the movies we could be talking about. Yes. Um, because at the end of the day, guys, our job is to entertain you. And if we're talking about a movie from the 1840s, then we we lack... We're not doing a good job. So we know what you want. You want blood. You want boobs. And you want... I need another word that starts with B for the, to complete the alliteration. Boners. Boners. So this one has... Actually, this one has all of it. So <laughs> join us, please, for next week. Well, maybe next month. Um, oh, you should have said bacon. Oh, uh, no. I like boners better. Yeah, well, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any closing notes? Um, this movie's now a lot more expensive than it was when I first could have bought it, but oh well. Yeah. Uh, I'm you happy will, that I'll be able to watch it and it. decide whether or not I do want to buy it. You will be watching it in 4K. You will borrow my copy. I have to do. So yeah, thanks for listening for one of our shorter episodes. We hope that you and your uh, moving bowels enjoy it. If you're sitting in your car, if you have to go pee, you won't have to hold it for very long because I know you guys want to listen to every word that we say you're holding. You're hanging on to every word we say. That's the case. Buy yourself some headphones. Yes. Um, And please be good to each other. And party on dudes. (laughs) Sure. And party on dudes. Have a great night and a very pleasant good morning. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye. Yes. Tell me. I usually prefer to, but tell me what's wrong. All right, I just think the the very opening could be a little... Nothing is more important than the simple act of people getting together. Good. Could I have one more go, Lawson, please? Sorry. What? Could I have just one more take of that? Why? I just did it right. Yeah.
Uh, look, I, I'm not used to having more than one person in there. One more word out of you and you go. Is that clear? Yes, sir. I take, well, I take directions from one person under protest. But from two, I don't sit still. But who the hell are you, anyway? Well, why the hell are you asking me for another one? Well, I thought there was a slight bonk, and I would like, just like to be saved. Jesus. What is a gonk? Do you mind telling me what that it's is? Not a bang from outside. A bang from outside. Can I see Mrs. Rogers for a minute, please? Yes, certainly. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Uh, yes, yeah, so in other words, I'd, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it, if you can make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see... A snow-covered field and say every July peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about them growing and she's picked them. Yeah. <coughs> what? In July. I don't understand you then. When must, what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. Well, I was out. We were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas, when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. You are? Yes. Well, that's about where I say in July. You emphasize a bit in, in July. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Um, There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with in and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. That's just idiotic, if you'll forgive me by saying so. That's just stupid. In July. I'd love to know how you emphasize in and in July. Impossible. Meaningless. I think all they were thinking about was that they didn't want to... He isn't thinking. Wilson, tell me just one last Yeah. And it was my fault. I, should, I said in July. If you can leave every July... You didn't say it. He said it. Your friend. Every July? No, you don't really mean every July. But that's a that's bad copy. It's in July. Of course it's every July. There's too much directing around here. Norway. Fish fingers Nor Findus, Norway. We know a certain fjord in Norway, near where the cod gather in Great Shoals. There, Janste Stangeland. Fraction more on the on that shoals thing because you roll it around very nicely. Yeah, roll it around, and I have no more time. You don't know what I'm up against because it's full of of, of things that are only correct because they're grammatical, but they're tough on the ear. You see, this is a very wearying one. It's unpleasant to read, unrewarding because Findus frees the cod at sea and then add a crumb crisp, crumb crisp coating. Ah, that's tough, crumb crisp coating. I think, no, because of the way it's written, you need to break it up, because it's not, it's not as conversationally written. What? 
take Crum Fish out. Fish oil, take Crum out. Good. Here under protest is beef burgers. We know a little place in the American far west where Charlie Briggs chops up the finest prairie-fed beef and tastes... This is a lot of shit, you know that. You want one more? Yes, more yes, on yes, what beer? You, you missed the first beef, actually, completely. What do you mean, you missed it? You're emphasizing prairie-fed. But you can't emphasize beef. That's like he's wanting me to emphasize in before July. Come on, fellas, you're losing your heads. I wouldn't direct any living actor like this in Shakespeare. Well, you do this. It's impossible. Orson, you did six last year, and by far and away the best, and I know the, the reason. The right reading for this is the one I'm giving it. At the moment. I spent 20 times more for you people than any other commercial I've ever made. You are such pests. Now, what is it you want? No, I think... In your depths of your ignorance, what is it you want? Whatever it is you want, I can't deliver because I just don't see it. That was absolutely fine. It really was. You, you, it isn't worth it. No money is worth it. 